Are you ready to take your mindset to an even higher level on and off the mat? Then you're ready for the BJJ Mental Coach Podcast, where business owners and aspiring entrepreneurs open their minds to new ideas and concepts that will help you during your entrepreneurial journey and during your consistent pursuit of becoming the best version of yourself personally and professionally. It's time to go beyond the mat with the host of the BJJ Mental Coach Podcast, Gustavo Dantas. Welcome to episode 93. I'm your host, Gustavo Dantas, and today we have the fourth degree black belt, Alberto Crane. Alberto is a veteran of the UFC and former King of the Cage champion, and he's the owner of Legacy BJJ in Burbank, California. He shared about his competition career, the importance of creating systems in business, and my takeaway from the interview came when I asked him the best advice that he has ever received, and his answer inspired me to title this episode, where there is a will, there is a way. Stick around for my final thoughts after the interview when I expand on this topic and I share with you how I end up in the United States using the where there is a will, there is a way mindset. Stay tuned right after Jiu-Jitsu Tribe's message. Woos. The BJJ Mental Coach Podcast is a proud supporter of the nonprofit organization Jiu-Jitsu Tribe, formerly Live Jiu-Jitsu. Jiu-Jitsu Tribe supports social projects who offer free jiu-jitsu classes to unprivileged children and young adults in impoverished communities, inspiring, impacting, and improving their lives, keeping them away from drugs and crime, creating hope, and creating champions on and off the mats. Your donation helps projects to pay for their monthly expenses and facility makeovers. As a supporter, the BJJ Mental Coach donate all the profit of all online courses and merchandise to Jiu-Jitsu Tribe. For more information, please visit www.jujitsutribe.org. Let me introduce you to today's guest, Alberto Crane. Alberto is a fourth-degree black belt under Vinicius Draculino Magalhães. Alberto is the first American to receive a black belt under the Gracie Baja organization. He opened several academies in his home state of, the, of New Mexico before relocating to California and becoming the head instructor and owner at Legacy BJJ. He's a veteran of the UFC, a former King of the Cage champion. Alberto hosts the podcast, The Alberto Crane Show, and he's married and is the proud father of three children. Alberto, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you, brother. It's been uh, it's a big pleasure. A lot of years, you know, we've known each other. So I know. It's been a it's while. It's a big pleasure. Yes, sir. So tell us, man, how martial arts got into your life and eventually jiu-jitsu. Uh, so basically, you know, after high school, uh, I wrestled a little bit as a kid, but, uh, I did my first class just randomly with, uh, I was living in Santa Fe, New Mexico. And uh, one of my best friends, I'm all Easton. He was in the, a restaurant that I worked at and they invited me to do a class. And my friend, he was a much smaller guy than me and he arm barred me like 10 times and I couldn't believe it. That's why I was like, let's go again. Let's go again. Let's go again. Mm. And that was, it was game over. I never missed a class. And then uh, our coach uh, at the time, he ended up going back into the Navy. He was a Navy SEAL. And, uh, and then uh, soon after, Amal went to uh, Brazil and trained at the Gracie Baja. And then soon after that, the next uh, we trained in his garage every day. And then he took me to a couple of tournaments. And then it, was, it, just, it just kept growing and growing in my life. And then, of course, short after, shortly after, I moved to Brazil uh, for my first time for six months. Um, and then eventually ended up living there for quite a few years. Yeah. And what year was that that you started? 
jujitsu and jujitsu 94 actually so yeah 1994 yeah and i remember that you have really good portuguese you're still active you're still yeah good. i have my friends i'm you know i'm i'm slow but uh but <laughs> I, i can for sure i can communicate and when i when i speak slowly or not slowly when i speak at the beginning i people don't they don't uh, think i'm i'm not brazilian mm -hmm. i have a sotaque sotaque mineiro even you know so mm -hmm. <laughs> i yep. can get back for sure I really, I, re I really, I really immerse myself in the culture as well. Yes. It's such a big part of, uh, of uh, my life. Like I can never call it anything but Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu for me, you know, because it's such a big part of like who I am. And looking back, basing on what you just said, when you look now all this journey, how do you feel Jiu-Jitsu relate to life? Oh man, everything I've done in my life, it uh, relates directly to what I've, what I did on the mats, you know, and the lessons that I learned uh the the good and the bad and really mainly the bad because it made me who i am it made me tough mentally it made me uh just believe even when you know everything's against you uh you know you find a way right and uh, i just i persevered I, i made through it and went i kept i kept going right even when things weren't working out i lost you know i lost when i first started competing for like the first three years you know and back then there weren't that many tournaments I moved to Brazil, right, as well for six at the beginning, you know, but uh, I had to really travel and spend a lot of money going to every tournament because there weren't that many, especially here in the U.S. And then when I moved to Brazil, it continued. But by the time I won, finally, I was a world class like blue belt, you know, I was on the podium and and I carried that all the way to black belt. So uh, so and in that process of not giving up and believing myself, even though, I, you know, because it meant the world to us, you know, every every win and every loss. So just to pick myself up after you feel like you die after every, <laughs> every, every loss, you know, because it was that you are everything to you, right? Um, because of that, facing that uh, so many times, especially in my early years, it really gave me a lot of um, strength and everything that I do and belief in myself. I can relate everything back to those moments. And do you know when was around the time that you figured out, you know what, I think I'm going to do this for a living? have jiu-jitsu not only practice but like actually make a profession out of it man you know i i put my heart and soul to trying to be the best you know for so many years and so i mean i moved down to brazil i think the first time like in 97 96 i'm not sure one of those years uh and then you know 98 i made the podium and then uh, i kept going 99 2000 and i came back actually and and in, in, in like started my school in 2000 in new mexico And, uh, and, um, I still didn't think about making this a career. I just, I still, I just needed a place to train basically. Mm -hmm. And I needed, I wanted to keep competing and trying to be my best. And so that was just an avenue. And of course I was able to, uh, you know, make a living. I was able to do a good job, you know, and, uh, build a nice, actually a lot of the guys that they still train today, uh, out there. Um, but, uh, when did I think I was going to be able to make a living from it? I can't believe I do today, honestly, you know, hmm. I just, I love it so much. And it's such a blessing that uh, we're in the position to do that. You know, uh, I would have done it for free. You know, I would, I would have had a nine to five job and I would have done it for free because I love it so much and it's done so much for me. And I see doing so much for other people uh, that I, that I teach that uh, I never thought, I guess I would be able to make a living from it, but luckily, you know, we, we were able to. And how was the decision for you? Because I remember you pretty established in New Mexico. Mm -hmm. And you made a decision to go to California. How long have you been in California now? My son is 12 years old. Mm -hmm. So 12 years. 
So, uh, so uh, it's 2000 now, but or 2020 now, but uh, I moved here in 2007. So actually, it'll be 13 in May. So it'll be 13 years in May. So why do you make the decision? What uh, what it was behind that? Oh man, I met uh, I met uh, my baby mama, <laughs> my wife, mm -hmm. you know, and uh, and uh, she's Armenian, and they have big families. And uh, she moved out to New Mexico, but once we like, once we would have kids, you know, I kind of like, made an agreement that uh, I would I would move back to California. I would move to California with her, and uh, you know, I have a family there. But she's at she has a huge family. It's like uh, that movie, my big fat Greek wedding. <laughs> and so, uh, so uh, yeah, it was the right thing, and it's really it's really great for the kids because they have so many cousins, they have such a big family, and it really enriches you know their lives, and you know. It's, it's, my wife is, you know, it's, it's great. It's great for the family. It's been better for sure for the family. It would, it's, it's, I think it's a better situation for sure. So, but at that point when it happened professionally, how was that transition? It was tough. It was tough. You know, it's tough leaving your students, right? That you yeah. For so many years. Um, it was very, very tough, you know, uh, even for my, my mom, telling my mom, uh, saying that I'm going to be moving to California. And to be honest, I don't know if I wanted to have another school again, because uh, it meant, you know, I was just like, oh, do I have to, I'm going to start this thing, I'm going to do this thing again, I don't know if I want to do this, if I want to work at night, if I want to, I don't know, you know, just have this lifestyle, I don't know, I don't know if I want to do it, and, uh, and, uh, and then just randomly, I was, I was like, I just want to fight, and I want to get this out of my system, I was getting invites to fight in the UFC, and then uh, I was training at this Muay Thai gym and the guy knew who I was. He's like, hey, can you teach a class once a week uh, at like 10 a.m., a random daytime class, yeah? Mm -hmm. And it filled up. And then he's like, can you teach two classes a week? I was like, sure, no problem. For free, right? And then three, and then of course it filled up and so we did three classes a week. We did that for about six, seven months, yeah? And, uh, and then, uh, you know, I took these guys to a tournament uh, and like five guys out of the six guys got first place. And, uh, and I was like, oh man, I have to, they're so rewarding. I was like, I have to do this again. Like, I don't want to, but I was like, I have to. And so it just all worked out. It's interesting. Like a lot of the guys, they're, they're still training today. Like one of those guys was like Orlando Sanchez in the mix, you know, and a lot of the, like some guy, a lot of bunch of, bunch of guys that are still training today. So it's pretty cool. Like those, those five guys that got first place, you know, and even the, the other guy too, you know, uh, from that, like first little group, you know, of competitors and, um, <clears throat> And um, yeah, I wasn't sure. I forgot the question, that, but, but yeah, uh, no, um, it's just about that, that transition, you know. And I remember that you have a, yeah. you, know, you had a solid team in New Mexico too. That yeah, you bring the yeah. guys here in Arizona. You you yeah. always had a solid team. But now that you had this transition, and how was the mindset, you know, between when you're doing all this and to transition to actually open another school? Right. So you know, in New Mexico, like. I had uh, the first, my first black belt there. So my original school in Santa Fe, New Mexico, he was able to take it over. And then uh, I actually did, um, I opened up a second school in Albuquerque and I did the work visa actually for Tusa, mm -hmm. Roberto Tusa, you know? And so, you know, they, they grew now too. And uh, they're Gracie Baja schools. Yeah. All of them. And that's uh, cool. You know, like the, so I felt like they were in good hands. You know what I mean? So I felt good about that. But it, for sure, it's sad, and a lot of my my uh, brown belts and stuff. Like you know, it's you get attached to people, right? You get attached to your teachers. So a part of me kind of, I don't know. It's hard, right? It's hard. So I don't know. 
you know, how to, how to even can't justify, you know, I didn't want to leave part, part of me, but I, I felt like it was better for my, my future family, my kids. So I had to make that call at the end of the day. And so then just coming over to California, it's a different whole different world in a way, because things are much more expensive. Right. And so, um, you know, like I said, I wasn't sure if I wanted to do it again. Um, and then, you know, like I said, I took those guys to the tournament and they won. And then I just started again, but I still wanted to continue fighting as well in mm -hmm. MMA. So it was uh, kind of a, a transition. And I had brought uh, uh, Kamala Bahal actually to, to help me, you know, for that first school. And, you know, it just kind of started that, started that process. And I thought it was going to be a, a good thing, you know, just to have help and, you know, but it's not so, it's complicated, right? <laughs> but I, I don't know if I, I want, I was ready to put my heart and soul into this, into this thing again, like I did, you know, I really put my heart and soul into every single person and it's been, uh, it's been a journey really. And I ended up opening up like six gyms, Grace Baja gyms in Los Angeles. So, so, and with, within that, I kind of found my, my why, my niche. And it was when I was with those six schools, I, uh, I was less and less on the mat and I realized what really matters to me and what really matters to me are the relationships and seeing the guys getting good and improving and having that, that connection, that human connection with them. And so I don't take it for granted now. And I'm, I'm only in one school, you know, I'm partners with another school, but I'm only in one school and I, I really value that. And I don't take it for granted. And I work really hard to, to keep that, you know, and I always want to keep that as long as I, as long as I live really. Yeah, I relate with this, uh, the moving, especially the part when you left New Mexico. When I left Brazil, I had a pretty, I was already teaching from, yeah. I started teaching in 95. I taught from 95 to 98 in Brazil. Mm. So I moved to the U.S. at the beginning of 99. And that was hard, man, because, of, of again, I was ready. It was a fairly small team. Maybe I had like 40 students. But for my mm. neighborhood, you know, especially there's so many schools, yeah. Um, it was like, it was actually one of like the kind of bigger one, bigger it was 40, ones, yeah. 50, 40, 50 students, you know? So that was hard. That was hard to leave. And people like, what do you mean? You're not going to leave. And I'm yeah. like, man, yeah. uh, I have to do it's part of the journey here. I, I have to yeah. do it. So that was, that was really hard. Cool to see some people, you know, kept training, you know, a lot. Right. So I, I, yeah. I relate to that. And now yeah. what, uh, what year did you actually open legacy? Uh, so I, I moved here, right, so 2007, and I just fought for a couple of years. And then I opened up Legacy in 2009. That was the okay. first one. And then I did a second one. And then actually, you know, Master Carlos Gracie <laughs> Jr., he called me up and he's like, hey, we're doing this franchise thing. And I went for, a, you know, lunch. And uh, and I wasn't going to say no, of course, you know, so because my, all my students, maybe my, the name of my gym was different, but we always represented Gracie Baja, right, since I was mm -hmm. a teenager. So I wasn't going to, of course, say no. And so, so of course, I, I changed the names to Grace Baja and that began that, that era, you know. So I was, I was doing that for about five years uh, and, I, and I grew it, you know, and, um, and did my part. Uh, and, then, uh, and then, you know, there's a lot of rules and, yeah. and then I asked Jacqueline actually basically, you know, like, what do you think? Because, uh, you know, you have to have the same geese and, you know, I'm, you know, I'm old school, right? Like, I just want the guys to train, you know, and I can't, if a guy That's doesn't want to buy a Gracie Bahagi, like the 200 bucks, like, you know, I'm like, I can't make the guy, you know, I can't, I can't, I can't go against who I am, you know, if they can get a cheaper gi for $60 online, like, 
cool, you know. For me, all that matters is they train, is that they train, you know. But like, thank grace of all, they they've been great to me. I can't say anything bad. Like they always gave me the respect, and they always let me kind of do things my way. So I can't say anything bad. And you have to be, a, you have to be like everybody else, right? In the in the franchise way. So uh, so I was getting getting in trouble like like that, and and so they kind of I think they gave me even that they even I think they gave me a what do you call it a can that got canceled or. Uh, 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 <laughs> I, don't know. I got kicked out or something. Uh, what's the what's the word? Uh, something like that, you know. Spell or something. And I, I got it. Yeah, something like that. And and so I I was going to uh, to Texas actually to do a seminar at Jacqueline's and my other friend's gym there. And actually, it was good because I saw Jacqueline and he's like he's like oh what's new? I was like oh I got a I got an email telling me to do this. And he's like oh man, you know like our relationship is going to change if I were you just you know go do a thing and, and as long as you don't do anything against you know. Uh, you know, baseball like join another like a another big team or something you know it's, it, it should it should be all good so it's like fair enough you know and so so that does it you know and i got out and because i could maybe fought to stay in you know but you know i think uh just where i was at and where what i'm doing uh didn't really i, w- I didn't need to 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 represent or have i, I want i always wanted to represent but i didn't need to have that name right because yes. that was pretty established, you know, for a lot of years. And I never had to do that in the first place because of, you know, my background and experience. When stuff like that happened, man, I don't judge anyone. That's their company. That's a business. That's the model that they have. And that works for a lot of people, but that yeah. doesn't work for yeah. some. You know what I mean? And that's yeah. totally fine for a lot of people. Absolutely. But like, for you want to yeah. have more flexibility, more the things that you're going to feel comfortable and you made the right call. Yeah. And, um, but I don't judge, you know what I mean? It's just a, it's yeah. just a format yeah. that they have and they do it and that's, and it works yeah. for a lot of yeah. people yeah. able yeah. to help a lot of people, people. but it's, for sure. it's just a matter how you want to run your show and stuff like that. So, um, totally understandable. So now when you look back, what are mm-hmm. some of the struggles? What is the struggle that comes to your mind? As far as business goes, running the school, stuff that are like, man, I, I didn't see that coming. I had no idea you know, this kind of issue. What do you think? I mean, what, you know, so I had my gyms in New Mexico. And before I moved out, I was like, man, I got I to gotta build this business up so I can, you know, maybe sell it or, you know, have some kind of money, have some California money because uh, New Mexico money, Arizona money is different than California money. Really, mm-hmm. it's like it's just ridiculously expensive here. So, uh, so I, I, uh, and, and also like, I thought about my future too. How was, how am I going to be able to provide for my family? Cause nobody taught us, right? Nobody taught us. It's like back in those days and early two thousands, it was, it was uh, a fight club in a way. Right. And so I, uh, I was, I remember going to the Abu Dhabi trials, you know, they invite you right in those times and they pay for your trip and everything. And I remember like, I don't know how I was going to pay my bills, you know, when I got back. Because I put everything into into you know trying to be the best, right? And uh, and I had a like over overnight. I stayed with. Um, luckily, my friend Amal Easton was there, and he we talked all night. And he's like, "Yeah, it's all about creating systems." And uh, uh, he told me about the E-Myth book, and and uh, and uh, and so like when I came back, I was like, "Okay, I gotta I gotta focus. I gotta create systems. I gotta." I got, I got to set it up so I can leave and I can come back. I'm not a prisoner, you know, to, to this. And so uh, as soon as I got back, I, I tried to, to focus and I started to study, get specialized knowledge from uh, karate guys and the guys that were doing it, you know, 
that had good businesses because none, no, no jujitsu guys really had good businesses. Yeah. You know, maybe Lord Irving, you know, mm-hmm. kind of was doing some business things, you know, but not really anybody else, you know. And so the karate guys were the answer. And so I studied, you know, I studied and I tried to learn from them. And, and uh, sure enough, you know, we, we started to do good, you know, uh, business-wise with the school. And there were some struggles too because there's resistance too from your old students. Absolutely. They don't want to change or they don't yeah, want to change it. And it was very hard, you know, because you love those guys and they're like the guys that are closest to you. But I had to do what's best, not just for the school, but for them too, you know, like what about in the future, right? But if I, I want them to continue to do it, I want us to keep doing it, you know. But if it's not a good business, it's not going to be sustainable. We're going to have to do something else. So, so, so I had to make the decisions and some hard decisions, right? Because you, like, you spend so much time and you really love people, love your students and stuff. And, and so it hurts, right? Uh, you know, it makes you doubt yourself. Am I making the right decisions? But at the end of the day, I, I stay true to my, I guess, my, my heart of, like, this is, this is better for the long term. And that's what kept me going. And, um, and uh, I made it a good business, basically. And then I was able to learn, use the things that I learned, studying from the karate guys and my friends, you know, uh, like Amal and those guys, Amal Easton's, you know, they have like nine locations in Colorado and, uh, and come back to LA and really use, utilize the, the knowledge that I gained and uh, running a facility, using the systems and uh, be successful almost right out of the gate, you know, as soon as I opened up. Um, there's some struggles, you know, because of an ad homilo and some different things, you know, but, uh, but overall, like we did pretty good, you know, almost right away. And what do you think there's some of the stuff that you're doing maybe wrong and then start to fix like right away? What are some of the things that you, you remember that you made adjustments? So, and when I mentioned this is for, because people who are listening to the podcast, yeah, we have, we have uh, a lot of school owners that watch. Yeah. But it's a lot of business owners, entrepreneurs. So sure. what do you think that is some, something that could help actually people too? Some of the, the things that you've been through, what are maybe one or two examples? You know, man, like I have to say, you know, I know Lord, Lord Irving had his, you know, his, the, the problems and, and those things, but he's done an amazing job with his kids, you know, and, uh, and he's done good business. And he, he, always, he always said some good things, you know, and he's like, Bad marketing can't sell free gold. Good marketing can sell a non-existent product, you know. And so that's such a great example. It's, it doesn't matter how many world championships you win, you know, if you don't have good marketing, if you don't have good, like, sales, like, the business doesn't exist. And so one of the first examples that I had was when I went to the karate gyms uh, uh, seminars, right? Mm-hmm. They had, actually, Lord Irving was there, <laughs> interestingly enough. And uh, they asked everybody, who's done 5,000 hours of uh, marketing and sales? And, you know, there were some jiu-jitsu guys in there too, of course, uh, who's done 5,000 hours of marketing and sales. And only the front row, the fat karate guys, raised their hand. Mm-hmm. And Lloyd, Lloyd was not, <laughs> he was in shape, you know. But I had such an effect on me. I was like, okay, I got I to gotta do the reps. I got to do the work, you know. Just like, you know, we got to do the, we got to do the drilling. We got to do the training. So I, I was like, okay, I, I guess what I got to do, I got to study 5,000 hours at least, you know, marketing and sales. I have to do that as well if I want to be successful at making this uh, a living, making, making a living from this. And so after that moment, and that was probably in 2004, 2005, uh, that, I, that I did that first seminar, the Karate Business Seminar. Uh, and ever since then, I've been a student, you know, of, of marketing and sales. Um, and maybe I don't have, I don't do the marketing and sales myself, 
but I know at least I know enough to maybe find the right people for me. And that's kind of the mindset I have because, you know, I don't want to be in front of the computer all day long. Yes. But I find people that can help me. Um, and it takes like uh, a little bit knowledge, right, to kind of find those right people. Yeah. And I feel that it's finding your strength. You know, this is really important because it's definitely is not my strength. You know, I learn enough about marketing again to hire someone, you know, just not yeah. something that I'm, yeah. I'm passionate about going in yeah. and finding all that stuff, you know, it's just some yeah. people really enjoy that. It's just yeah. not something that I do. However, we do need to have a basic right. understanding right. Of, of what is happening. And especially in jujitsu now, we're talking many times in a podcast that man, whoever it's not keeping up to date with digital marketing, you know, they're going to yeah. start suffering. Yeah. You know, yeah. and some people still uh, are resistant to it. Yeah. But let's see how this is going to play out in like five to 10 years when the, mm -hmm. the amount of jujitsu schools is just going to keep growing yeah. and it's not going to get smaller. You know, it's going to get bigger. The yeah. market is going to get, get bigger. And whoever is not kind of up to date with what's going on with marketing digital marketing and building mm -hmm. systems and there's so many yeah. areas that like you said we don't have a class right it just started we open a mat and be like cool i'm gonna take yeah. my students to tournaments and <laughs> and that's kind of the mindset and now it's it has evolved a lot yeah i had a moment you know in uh 2004 2005 when i first started learning like you know business things for martial arts schools and I drove around. I'm like, wow, is, is there gonna be is there gonna be jujitsu gyms on every corner like there is taekwondo and karate? I was like, is it gonna be like that, you know? And so I drove around town, and I drove around and I looked at all the taekwondo and the karate schools. And let's say there was 20 schools, only like a couple would seem like they were good businesses. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like they were like legit. You know, like they were like like it was a good like a just it was done the right way. And so I said to myself, okay, like, you just got to make sure that you're, you know, you're, you're one of those guys, you know, and, uh, and that means being, doing, doing, doing your due diligence, right? Doing all the right things, not just on the mat, but also uh, the business things, right? We have to be responsible for, for us to be our best, right? To be good examples for our students, for them to be their best. So let's change gears a little bit. You shared with me that 2012, you're getting ready for a fight. You have some, some MRIs, right? And then discover some issue that you had no idea that kind of changed the direction of your life. And to be in a good and positive way now, but of course, when it happened, that undesired outcome is definitely is not what you want to hear. But now it worked out, end up working out for the better. But can you share us uh, how were the, you know, how is, what exactly happened? How was the experience? Okay, so I did my UFC debut in 2007, and they found some white areas uh, in my brain, but they let me fight. It's like, okay, it's, but I remember them calling me in my office, but I didn't think too much about it, right? They're like, okay, you can fight, but you're going to keep an eye on it. And then every five years in Nevada and also, you know, in California, they make you do the brain MRI. So five years later, it was time to do another one. And uh, they came, I was going to do a local fight, um, and uh, I did my, my medicals like the week of, and then they called me in, like a day before the weigh-ins, we have to come and talk to you, right? That's probably not a good sign. And so I went in and, um, and uh, talked to the doctor, and he says, hey, this looks like multiple sclerosis, but we need to do further testing 
but we can't let you fight this weekend. And, uh, you know, I, I didn't know what multiple sclerosis was, but you start to do a little research. And, you know, I, I didn't, to be honest, I didn't want to put my head there. I just knew I couldn't fight, so I decided to promote her, which I was, you know, I was, I was sad about. Um, but uh, that began, you know, about three or four months later, we did all the testing and they, yeah, you have multiple sclerosis. And uh, they gave me a stack of drug books and I had no idea what it is, but then you start to do research on YouTube and you see these guys going into wheelchairs and not being able to, you know, walk anymore or do anything. And then, so I, while I was still at the doctor's office, you know, it's kind of treating me like, like I'm going to die basically. Like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, because I can't fight anymore. And then I asked the, the doctor, can I still do jujitsu? And uh, he said, yes. And so then I was like, okay. And so I registered for a tournament. Uh, IBJF Vegas, I remember that was my first one. And I remember like, it was my first match back. And then I ended up winning the open weight, which was, which was cool. It was just such a great feeling. And then I was like, okay. And then I did another one. And then they, had, they started to open up the IBGFs in, uh, in different parts of the world, right? In Germany. So they had one in Munich, Germany. And I spent most of my childhood in Munich, Germany. So I was like, oh, that's amazing. You know? So I went because I thought, hey, what about if in six months I can't, I can't do jiu-jitsu anymore? I want to give everything I have, you know, right now and get anything out of my system, give it everything I got, you know. And so it ended up being like a world tour. I went to Asia. I even went to the Amazon. My mouth's open. And I did a wow. world tour. And uh, the culmination was the, like, the, uh, there was an Ogi Worlds. I won the Ogi Worlds. I got to go against Eduardo Teles, who was always a much heavier guy than us, you know. <laughs> so... So it was cool because he was on the opposite side of the bracket. He was on the Jiu-Jitsu magazine cover that month. So it was, it was really exciting for me because I got to, I felt like, a, and he had just won the, the Nogi World like two years before beating Tudor Pena. So it was like cool. I felt like a real world championship in a way, at least in my mind, yeah. It was a master, you know, master two division. And so I won. And then uh, my friend Tudor, you know, Edson George, he, uh, he, he used to live in the south of Spain. So he's like, hey, let's go there and do a seminar. We can split it. And so I said, okay, great. And then I looked at the IBGF schedule and there was a tournament in Berlin uh, the weekend after the Nogi Worlds and then but also Madrid. And the last, well, the weekend after that, so I was like, hey, let's do those tournaments too. And then he ended up backing out, but I followed through. And then of course I did some seminars in between. And so I did the Nogi Worlds and then I did the Berlin Open. And then the last stop was Madrid, you know, and uh, I woke up. Well, the night before the tournament, I wasn't feeling good. I couldn't really eat dinner. And I thought that was interesting because I was in the south of Spain with my friend, with, with Edson, you know. And then I came up to Madrid the, the, the night before the tournament. And, uh, and then I couldn't eat. I thought that was strange. But I was like, okay, whatever. Maybe I'm just tired from all the competing and the adrenaline. For sure. You know, you know how it is. And then the next morning, I couldn't eat as well. I just didn't feel good, you know. And uh, I was like, yeah, you're just tired, you know, from all the adrenaline and just pushing too much, yeah. And and just to add to that, I wasn't feeling good, you know, with MS. Like uh, I would I would get in, like numb and uh, especially traveling and stuff. I I would get like super swollen and I I would be kind of off, you know. But uh, you know, it's the spirit, yeah, inside of us, like the things that got ingrained, you know, when we were younger, like competing and really like getting after it, you know. And uh, so I, you know, I, I went to the tournament 
Um, and then, and then uh, I talked to the first guy I was going to compete against. We kind of became friends. We went, and he threw his weight on my stomach. And I was like, oh, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to – I felt that I was going to throw up. But I didn't throw up. I secured it. And then I made it through the match. I lost the match, you know, by some points, you know. And then uh, I got off the mat, you know, and I threw up in a trash can. Whoa, like, you know, like crazy. Threw up, like, all this food. I had food poisoning. Wow, you know? wow. It's like the flu, yeah? Yeah, it's like you have the flu. And so then the guy, and then I had, there was a, was a bracket of three people, so I had to go again. And then I went against the next guy, and then I was still, like, competing to win, and I ended up getting choked out unconscious. I remember waking up and, and uh, you know, I, I was like, I was like, oh man, like having like a deep dream and waking up and I'd never been choked out unconscious in my life. Yeah. And I was just so off, but I, I they're like, you want to go? I was like, yeah, sure. Let's go. And I, <laughs> I did my best. Right. But I, I was like a ghost, like completely white. And, uh, and so I went and then I got choked out and I was so super crushed. I was super like super sad. You know, after that, after that moment. And uh, and then the guy, the first guy I went against, he was like, "You're gonna do the open weight." And I'm like, "Nah, man, I, I don't feel good. You know, I'm not good." And he's like, "Just do it. Maybe you'll feel better in a couple hours." And I thought about it. I'm like, "Cool. Well, what am I gonna do? Go to the hotel and feel sorry for myself, or stay here? Maybe I'll feel better." You know. And I started to like visualize or think about the matches, and I, I was like, "I believe in my technique." You know. I believe in my I believe in my technique and my capabilities. I believe in my technique, you know. And I kind of started saying that over and over and over for like two hours, like a mantra in a way. And it gave me like energy. You know, you've had the flu, you've had, you know, food poisoning, like you don't everything hurts in the body. I couldn't drink, I couldn't eat, you know, you have no strength, no power. And I started like this mindset, like saying those things, like I believe in my technique. And I kept saying that for two hours. I went in there, won my first match. Won a second match against some some big guy, you know, ended up winning the open weight, you know, um, just with whatever, just with nothing in the tank, but just my mindset, you know. And then I even did a couple more matches after that in Nogi. And with wow. nothing, I couldn't drink water, I couldn't eat, I couldn't, it was like, it was crazy, you know. And after that moment, it didn't seem like, it was, it was nothing, right? The Madrid Open, like, uh, the tournament, it was nothing, like, it was just another, like another IBGF tournament, not a big deal. But for me... Man, it was one of the biggest accomplishments I've ever done, you know, I believe. because for, for like spiritually, you know, and I was like, man, you're just, you're much more capable of what you think you are, you know? And I knew, I knew after I did that, I got this like a multiple sclerosis thing, this MS, I got it, you know, I can win, you know? And, uh, and then that's, that was the last stop on my world tour for jiu-jitsu competition. And, uh, and then I signed up. Uh, for this tactic certification and uh and uh and that began that part you know that next chapter for me and uh the guy helped me for one of my ufc fights back in like 2007 and i got thrown on my head he showed me some movements that i could heal myself with and that had such a big impact on me you're like what i can heal myself with movement and my subconscious just totally brought me there and he, he would always he was always really kind with me and so i went to this certification uh, and, and then I was like, okay, I get a second chance to really do this. And then I, so I started going to every workshop they had and I started to feel better after every workshop, after every certification. And I started to improve. I didn't dream for like 10 years and, uh, I started to dream again. I started, wow. things started to work better on the inside out, you know? 
I was like, man, this stuff is good for me. You know, the harder I trained, the better I got, the more better I felt, the better I did, like function wise, my brain. Uh, I used to read a lot when I was younger and I wasn't able to read anymore. And after that, I was able to just really study and really just my, my brain capacity. I got smarter, I feel like, you know, I got smarter. I mean, you know, I got smarter. I got stronger. My body changed. Uh, uh, and so I just kept at it, you know, and I went on a world tour again following the, the, the coaches and the guys that were teaching the system, the tactic system. And uh, I really gained a lot of knowledge. And, uh, man, it was crazy, you know, and the guy, like the mentor that I had, you know, he kind of, he kind of cringed against the creator. The creator's name is Scott Sonnen, you know. And so uh, he's the guy who introduced me and also was always very kind with me. And uh, and so then he was, they were the partner of the Scott Sonnen, the creator of 23 years, he tried to sell like the, his part because he knew he wanted to get out. And so he approached like the, my, one of my mentors that was that I followed around and he wasn't able to do it. And then he also kind of had a bad mindset, a bad attitude about it, you know? And I, you know, man, we've been in the martial arts for a long time. You know, when people are, you know, when they, when they, they're not doing the right things, you know, like ethically and stuff, you know? And so I, he started like talking bad about the, the creator, his, his mentor, right? And so I, I was like, man, that's not right. And, and, and then, um, but I tried to keep it together, you know, but they said, we're not interested in having you uh, get involved business-wise. I was like, okay, you know, so I stepped back and I really trained uh, hard uh, for this uh, level two at the TAC for team leader uh, position. And it was really mission impossible for me with all the injuries and all my MS, all these things. I, have, I couldn't put my seatbelt on when I first started training, before I, before I started doing tactics, I couldn't put my seatbelt on because I hurt so much twist, twist my body. You know what I mean? I'd rather, and to look behind my neck, you know, for, there's a, in the blind spots when I'm driving my kids, because everything hurts so bad, right? And when we're fighting, everything's all good, right? But as soon as we're, <laughs> the rest of the day, right? Like, you're just in pain. And I remember taking ibuprofen as, man, as long as I can remember, you know, almost every single day. And not since I started doing tactics. So it's done so much for me. I was like, man, I can't let this system kind of fall apart, you know? And every that, I traveled around the world going to all these different certifications. And most of the certifications I did, they're repetitions, you know, but I also assisted as well and, uh, and just tried to learn, really learn. And I saw what it did for people around the world. And so I knew, I knew the power of it. And so then I trained for the team leader. I passed it, you know, basically the guy, the mentor that was crouching, <laughs> it was his last certification and I, I did it. You know, he didn't want me to pass, I think, you know, because they tried to pull some things, but I, I did it, you know, and then I started negotiations, you know, with the partner and we made it happen, you know, and uh, I got involved business-wise with the, with the TAC program and I'm the, 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 they appointed me as the CEO of the corporation and it's an international company. Uh, you know, people practice it around the world and it's been changing people's lives since the 90s. They just didn't have the good business things behind it. And uh, and uh, I'm just, it's such an honor for me to work with it because it's, it's really given me a second chance and really done so much for me. And it's doing so much for anybody that I introduce them, you know, where I introduce Taco to, it does so much for them, you know. So um, I'm just really grateful that I have something in my life that I that I get to do on top of jiu-jitsu you know yeah but it really of course my my niche is jiu-jitsu and my passion but it needs the other side right it needs the the yin and the yang it needs the healing parts you know and like we said like the 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 mr miyagi when he taught when he when he healed Danny on his shoulder like the healing part and 
the other parts. We, we need that too. Nobody taught us those things, you know? So Scott Sonnen and the tactical system, like it, sh it showed me like those things, you know? And uh, man, it really allowed me to become a better professor. It allowed me to be a better teacher because of the learning components. Like Scott Sonnen, he has a TED talk, but he was, when he was a kid, he was diagnosed with learning disabilities and dyslexia and just everything else. And I went through a hard, really hard time, but he, because of that, those adversities, he created this amazing system, you know, of learning and neuroplasticity and neuroscience things, you know, and it was, it was coined the world's smartest workout by Men's Health Magazine, um, because mm -hmm. it's all the right stuff that you need. And the guy was a sambo guy, a grappler, you know, so it goes so well with jiu-jitsu. I'm, I'm biased, of course, you know, mm -hmm. but it can be used for everybody and anybody. And my wife does it, she shows her family, you know, everybody, everybody that learns it, they, they share with their, their friends. It really makes the world a better place, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> because everybody has pains and, and, and issues, you know, but uh, just the body awareness and it gives you the knowledge to, to heal yourself and take away pain and just live your best life. You know, so I'm really grateful that I found it. Yeah, that's really awesome. Well, one that your jujitsu and fighter mindset kicked into, Ooh. of course, like even at the beginning of practicing that, that's, you know, it's hard. And many people that maybe yeah. didn't have your life experience as a, as an athlete, maybe you'd be like, man, I don't think I can do this. And yeah, you give probably up, could right? end up. Yeah. Yeah. So in the wheelchair. Yeah. Dude, I, so I this is incredible. That, you know, we're at the world this last year and I sat down with him for probably a good hour. And I told him, you know, like the, the lessons and the things that it gave me, you know, on the mat, the jujitsu, the jujitsu, what jujitsu gave me, like the mindset to overcome, you know, you're, you're, everything is against you, right? But you find a way to win still. You never give up to the death, right? Yeah. <laughs> you try to win to the death, you know? And, and you know, our teachers, our professors, like yelling at us and our teammates and, you know, just being part, that one's instilled in us, you know? And it's, it's so instilled in me and that was the difference, you know? But then Tackford had the right things, the techniques and the right things to do. So com that, that combination, you know, it's a winning combination, I think for anything, for anybody. So. Now, when you look yeah. back into your journey, what is, uh, if you have to say like one piece of advice, one of the best advice that you ever received, uh, it doesn't matter if it's jujitsu life, what, what is something that pops up in your mind? You know, when I, when I was a kid, you know, my, my grandfather, my mom's father, I was named after him. His name was Albert. My, name was Albert. my mom called us, you know, she named me Alberto. To not forget my Latino heritage, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, but because my last name is not uh, Latino, you know. Um, but he was blind. They took his eyeballs out as a teenager, wow. and he 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 said always he would always say, "Where there's a will, there's a way." You know, he he wasn't just a, a blind guy. He could have, you know, they they flew him out when he was a teenager because he's he lost his eyesight as a teenager. They flew him out to, uh, to actually California because his his sisters lived here. And they had people in their 20s, you know, weave baskets, you know, do like, uh, like not, not, not meaningful work in a way because you're handicapped, you're, you're done, right? And he's like, mm -hmm. no, I want to I wanna, I wanna go to college. And she kept writing his congressman, hey, I want to go to college. And so they finally let him in and he went to college. He was the first blind guy to go to college in New Mexico. Wow. And then he had people read to him, you know, and they, they learned that way too. And, you know, convince people, right? And then he's like, I wanna, I wanna, I wanna go to law school because the place they took his eyeballs at was in like Washington D.C. 
And so he's like, I want to, you want me to go back there? And so he, he's like, I want to, I want to go to, I want to become an attorney. I want to, I want to, I want to be a lawyer and be able to fight for people. And so he became an attorney blind, you know, and he did politics. He, nobody would hire him also, you know, when once he became an attorney going back to New Mexico and he actually became a judge He try, he gave uh, he, the guy who uh, sold the, the atomic bomb secret to the Russians, you know, they got tried, uh, did the death sentence, I think, you know, but he tried, he tried them at the local level, you know, because uh, Los Alamos is where they invented the atomic bomb. Anyway, he's just, he did so much, so many things in his life. He did so much for the community. There's like a school named, uh, elementary school named after him in, in Santa Fe. And he just did so many things. And, and he's such an inspiration to me, you know, like, um, yeah, the, well, there's a world, there's a way, you know, and if he's able to do those things, like, there's nothing that is impossible for me or for anybody else. Yeah, that's and incredible. So that's that's man. where a lot of my, like jujitsu and even the podcast that I that I that I'm doing. That's that's the message, I guess. You know, just human potential, us reaching our potential. Mm-hmm. Right on, man. That's awesome. And um, jujitsu absolutely is a is a tool for that. You know, hundred percent. Yeah. So when you look, let's say when you start um, legacy. If you have to go back and have a conversation with your younger version, not that you want anything different, of course, mm-hmm. right? Because uh, you're in a position that you're happy in your life and everything because of the choice, all the choices that yeah. you made. And we always, uh, when I ask, it's just thinking, man, based on what you see in your experience, and if you could go back and have a little conversation with Alberta, you can say like, hey, buddy, let me give you one advice, what that would be. You know, honestly, with all the tactic stuff, I would have been like train less, <laughs> mm-hmm. train less, you know, because that's been uh, that's been the theme of my life. I've overtrained, I've overworked, you know, and I think uh, less is more, and I'm learning that now. And the MS thing was a thing in disguise as well, cool because I had to step back, you know, and I had to like kind of basically do less in a way, but. It's not really doing less. It's, you had to work this a different way and a smarter way, you know. So I would have, I would have just told myself, you know, work less and 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 and, uh, and just try to work hard to work smart, you know. It's it's an easy thing to say because those those working hard and giving everything you have to towards a project it really makes you uh, makes you as a as a person, right? And so it's not so easy for me to say that to myself, but you know, if I got the same benefits the mindset things that I got from, you know, pushing myself, if I can keep those, but also give myself advice, I would have said, you know, be smarter. So like do less, be more precise with that, you know, because I could have gone longer and harder because man, by the time I got into the UFC, I could not do one push up because my shoulders and stuff were so bad. You know what I mean? And so I could have done more, you know, if I would have trained smarter, uh, maybe not hard, but train smarter. And that means recovery. That means more rest. That means you know uh, having the body awareness. And that's I guess that's another reason why I'm so passionate about this tactic stuff because it gives you those tools to recover, to to understanding your body. To some days you go high, sometimes you go low. As far as intensity, right? Not every day high intensity because some things in the break, right? And eventually, um, you know, on all on different on different aspects, and also the, the stress, right? In the body and the hormones that you create, right? The stress. So you're in balance, you know, so you can sustain longer. You can train more, harder, 
if you recover, if you stretch, man, they say that you recover like 70% faster. Because let's say you work out and you train, you lift weights, you go into your car and you go home, you never turn those muscles off. But if you stretch, like you do the agonist antagonist muscles, like you, you know, for example, if you, if you flex your bicep, and you say you work out your triceps and you flex your bicep, you turn off your tricep muscles. So if you do those things, man, you can, they say you recover like 70% faster because those muscles are going to be turned off and they're not going to be working. They're not going to be on continually throughout the day. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And then that's where you get stronger. And so I wish I would have known those things, you know? Um, but I get a second chance. I get a, I got a second chance and I can help my students and, and, and myself too, you know, really live my best life. And it's incredible. Like I'm, I'm for, I'll be 40, I'll be 44 this, this summer. And man, I'm honestly like, I feel like <laughs> the best is yet to come because of this, you know, my brain, it's like the fountain of youth, really. It's remarkable. And I just, cause it's really cause I believed in it. And I think I had needed those adversities, the, MS diagnosis, all these bad things kind of had to happen for me to be humble enough and be like, this is what I need to do, you know? I just, I knew how I felt and then I just kept pursuing it, kind of like jujitsu. Mm-hmm. So I'm lucky that I followed my instincts and my, my, my heart, you know, and let it, let it lead the way. And it's done, it's done pretty good so far. Right on. Now, um, what is a book that you recommend and why? Maybe a book that made an impact on you, a book, audio book or whatever. Maybe yeah. what, what is a book that pops up in your mind right away? So when I was 18, I read uh, Think and Grow Rich. I'll tell you a couple, you know, Think mm-hmm. and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. And I wrote down my goals and I wrote down what I wanted to, to do and to be, you know. And that's how what, that's what brought me to move to Brazil. Because who moves as a teenager to Brazil, you know, like my first day, like it was crazy, you know, like I couldn't believe those gunshots and I hid under the bed and you know, <laughs> a lot of funny stories, you know, looking back now. Yeah, because I was like, I was, I was scared. I was like, oh, what am I doing? But I knew what I wanted, and then it became, I manifested that, and I, made, I took the actions. But that's where I needed to be, right, to, to become, like, the, one of the best. And so I had to move. You know? And so, so think and grow rich, you know. And, and, like, those neural connections that I created in that process, like, it's transferred to everything that I've done. So think and grow rich for sure, you know. I think E-Myth, as far as, like, systemizing, like, the school, you know, Michael yeah. Gerber. That made an impact on me too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and then uh, and then uh, another one is uh, thinking grow rich. Not thinking nothing rich. Uh, rich dad, poor dad. Kiyosaki. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, my grandfather is very successful financially and stuff, but uh, like I think it's very important to understand like how money works. You know, because even having one business or having a job, like you can make a lot of money, but if you don't set things up or understand like the money part or so how finances work, you're not going to have much at the end of the day, but, you know, just the, the different ways to make money, like the business, stocks, right, real estate. So, so thinking, uh, think on grow, grow Rich, uh, E-Myth, and uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, for sure. Uh, there's a, so many other ones, but those are the big three, for sure. Cool. So for the listeners, uh, we're getting close to the end of the interview, so... If you're listening for the first time, usually what I do after the interview, I go and I, when I go at it, I go and I reflect on what is said. And then I create an audio from five to 12 minutes to inspire, impact and improve your life in some way. Try to base on, on my takeaway from the 
interview. So make sure you stick around for that. So we're recording this in March of 2020. So what's exciting? What's going on? I know you got your podcast, so we can definitely give you a plug for your podcast too. So what you got? Yeah, so uh, Alberta Crane Show, right? It's on uh, all the podcast podcast platforms, you know, Apple Podcasts, uh, Spotify, YouTube as well. But really every 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 platform. So I've been really enjoying it. So I'm Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, of course, fighting the brain because I study a lot of neuroscience and the body and things now as well. Uh, neuro, uh, you know, the brain and of course, like I said earlier, like human human potential. So anything that's in that realm, I'm like fascinated with. You know, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, fighting, the brain, and human potential. So, you know, um, so I've been, I've been really enjoying that, really connecting. And sometimes I have so many talented people uh, in my gym. So I, world champion breakdancers, uh, comedians, actors, uh, musicians, you know, really talented people. And so there's a formula, right, of success. And so it's, it's really great because I get to, you know, not only share a conversation and time with them and we get this um and then of course tactic you know i'm the ceo so i'm kind of uh in charge of, of seeing it, having it grow you know to its potential so i'm really passionate about that uh i get up at three in the morning these days to start my work day because uh of work that needs to be get done and that way people don't uh, don't uh, interrupt me and we can we can get it done and then of course then i have my legacy time where i go in and I do my I do my tactic training myself like around nine o'clock, and then I, you know my afternoons are legacy. And then uh, in the afternoons, like I usually like I spend time with my kids, uh, but my daughter just started competing and she got really serious, and all it all came from her, and she has so much potential. So I was supposed to not go in the go in in the evenings, you know, but now I'm in the I'm going back in the evenings as well because she's training as well now. So. Mm-hmm. Well, training seriously, she trains like you know every day, hours a day now. So it's I've been I'm just so grateful because we have such an amazing team at Legacy and and uh, just man, I can't I can't I can't ever say thank you enough to Jiu-Jitsu and just everything that it's given me uh, from Jacqueline to all my teammates and, and you know the grace of Bob Bella Rizanch, you know Bella Rizanch, you know all my students past and present in in New Mexico and here they're just. They've given me so much, you know. I feel I feel so wealthy, so rich, you know, on the mm-hmm. inside because of all the all the greatness that I've been lucky enough to surround myself with. Right on, man. Well, it's been a great interview, yeah. man, and big props for your emotional resilience. You know what I'm saying? From everything that it went through in your fighting career, fighting through injuries and all the adversities, yeah. keep pushing through, having like that issue the. MS and keep coming, you know, keep focus on improving yeah. yourself in your life. And that's, uh, that's very inspiring, man. That's awesome. Thank you, man. Thank you. That's what yes. Jiu gives us, right? It's that resiliency and that never give up attitude. Absolutely. That's one of the, the main things that I tell the, from benefits of jujitsu, it's building that emotional resilience that things don't always go exactly the way you want. And it's kind of like, mm-hmm. what now? What are you going to do with that? It's, it is what it is. And how are you going to respond to it? And, and jujitsu, a lot of, and I always mention this with even beginners that you start training, they come in, yeah, I'd like to get in shape and self defense. And I talk with them and I say, like, hey, there's two aspects that, People don't know much until they start practicing the mental or the emotional aspect. When you start living this and then you understand like really 
talking about. So it's incredible. And the, the idea is to be able to get this improvement that you're getting in, in, in the mental and the emotional aspect and transfer it to your personal professional life. And that's something that you've been able to do uh, in great fashion, man, and, and major props to you. And, and that's it, man. I appreciate it. And for all the listeners, yeah, well, I just want to say I, I appreciate you, you know. Thank you, man. It's, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's amazing for me to watch you. You know, I've known you for now for a lot of years. I think I, when I first met you, you didn't speak a word of English, <laughs> right? Yeah, and, I was uh, learning, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And now you're doing podcasts and, you know, you're living, living, you're an American, you know, right? Yeah, I am, <laughs> and, uh, officially. Yeah. Officially, so it's, it's really cool, man, you know, and I, I love like all you guys, the Novenial, the lightweights. You guys are always terrors on the mat. You guys are legends, you know, legends, jiu-jitsu lightweight legends. You know, you and the Leo Santos and the, all you guys, man. Mm-hmm. So it's a big pleasure to, to be on your podcast. So thank you for the invitation. Yes, yes, sir. Thank you. So for all the listeners, stick around for my final thoughts. Oos. Oos. Let me share with you my final thoughts from the interview with the fourth degree black belt, Alberta Crane. If you're listening just to the final thoughts on Instagram TV at Gustavo Dantas BJJ, Alberta is a veteran of the UFC and former King of the Cage champion, and he's the owner of Legacy BJJ in Burbank, California. He shared about his competition career, the importance of creating systems in business, and my takeaway from the interview came when I asked him the best advice that he has ever received. And he said that it was something that his grandfather used to tell him. Where there is a will, there is a way. The answer inspired me to title the episode the same. If you listen to the episode, you heard Alberto talking how his grandpa was the first blind student to attend a college in New Mexico. He became a lawyer and eventually a judge. He definitely walked the talk, and Alberto had an incredible role model for resilience. And he used his resilience not only in his martial arts career, but also to battle against multiple sclerosis, as he explained during the interview. Have you ever experienced a situation that you adopt the mindset, where there is a will, there is a way? If you do, you understand how meaningful this accomplishment was for you. The chances are that you got out of your comfort zone, took massive action, a lot of sacrifices, but you did it. No one handed to you. You earned it. I'm going to share with you a personal story when I use the word there is a will, there is a way mindset. During episode zero, I share with you about my history, the history of the podcast, and I mention a story that happened in 1998. However, today I'll be sharing more details of the story. I was training at my coach's academy under Pedernieros for the 1997 World Championship in Rio when I met an American called Steve Da Silva. We became friends, and in 1998, he went back to Rio for the Worlds, and he issued me a challenge. He said, hey, Gustavo, in six weeks, there will be a tournament in Irvine, California. I live in Vegas. You can visit me for a few days. Then we can drive to Irvine and back to Vegas. You can stay in my house and crash at the hotel with us. What do you think? I had the vision of me being there, and I told him, I'm going. Because that was one of my goals, to be able to travel and compete abroad, which I have never done until that point. So as soon as I received the information, I automatically interpret as, this is the opportunity that I've been waiting for to travel and compete. I have to accept this challenge regardless of the short time. Then Steve said, really cool, man. Do you have the American visa? I said, no, I don't have a visa, a passport, or the money, but I'm going. Where there's a will, there is a way. 
the first thing I asked myself was, what is the worst case scenario? The American embassy can deny my visa and I don't get the application money back or I don't raise enough money for the trip. On the other hand, the positive is that the first step to travel internationally is to own a passport, so I guess that is progress. I could have said, Steve, it's too close, man. I, I don't think I'll have the time to get a passport, the visa, and the money for the trip in five weeks. I'll plan better for next year. But I knew that I couldn't pass on the opportunity. Back then, I had four sponsors. Two of them paid monthly salaries, but they didn't give any extra cash. Since there was a special occasion, I have never asked them for anything extra for a year and a half. Three of the four sponsors decided to support the trip. They all chipped in for the ticket, which was incredible. However, I had another challenge ahead of me, the American Embassy. I took my brand new passport and all my documentation to the office and the agent asked, what are you going to do in the United States? I said, I'm a jiu-jitsu competitor and I'm going to participate in a tournament in California. He asked, do you have anything to prove that you're going to a competition? I said, yes, here's the facts of the competition. Remember, this is 1998. <laughs> I tried to impress the agent. I said, yeah, I'll be representing Brazil in this international competition. I have won important competitions in Brazil. He cut me off with a tone and said, can you prove that you won these tournaments? I said, yes, I have my portfolio here with me with the pictures of the events, press appearance, and so forth. He asked, do you study or work? I said, both. Can you prove both? I said, yes, here's my college ID, and here's the letter from my employee proving that I'm also a jiu-jitsu instructor. Then comes the final question. Who is going to pay for your ticket? I answered, my sponsors. With an annoying tone, he asked, what is the name of the sponsor? I grabbed my portfolio again and showed him a photo of me on the podium with the sponsor's patches on the gi and said, well, three of my sponsors are helping me to pay for the ticket. He cut me off again and asked, raising his voice, what is the name of the sponsor? Since one of my sponsors, the drugstore City Pharma, was giving the biggest chunk of the three, I said, City Pharma. He said, great. Do you have a letter from City Pharma stating that you're going to pay for your ticket? I said, no. Oh, no, I cannot give you the visa then. I said, What? So I need a letter from City Farmers stating they're going to pay for the ticket. Then you come back here. Usually, I try not to curse during the podcast, but I had to vent. Ain't that a bitch? <laughs> Seriously. By that point, I had 20 days until the tournament. Here's the tricky part. I needed to get the visa to purchase the ticket. Hang with me because the story is about to get interesting. I left the embassy and I went straight to the City Pharma headquarters. I explained the situation. I told the staff, I understand that you're not paying for the whole ticket, but I need a letter from you guys stating you're going to pay. Otherwise, I don't get to travel. The lady got very defensive. Well, but we're not going to pay for the whole ticket. I don't think corporate is going to like this. I said, listen, City Pharma has sponsored me for the last 18 months. We have a great relationship. Why the hell would I burn this bridge? Here's the thing. Even if you tell me right now, we're not going to help you anymore. I'm going. I will ask my mom to put in her credit card. I'll make payments, but I'm going. I just need the letter. That's it. She said, okay, I'll let you know. I was anxious for like five days and they finally decided to write the letter. My next step was to make the appointment to go to the embassy. And if they said yes, I would travel in seven days. As you already know, where there is a will, there is a way. I realized that I needed more funds for the trip, but I only had less than two weeks left. I started to brainstorm ways to raise money and suddenly an idea popped up. I said, politics in Brazil is mandatory to vote. So politicians, 
love helping people close to the elections. So I started to ask everyone if they knew or heard of anyone from Villa Isabel, my neighborhood or city in the U.S., who was running for the city council election. And in two days, one of my friends told me, yes, there's a guy called Ari. His office is actually close by. Long story short, I went to the office and introduced myself to the secretary. I said, hey, my name is Gustavo Dantas. I'm born and raised in Villa Isabel. I go to college. I teach jiu-jitsu here in Villa Isabel. And I'm going to represent our community in an international competition in the United States. And I'd like to know if Ari supports local athletes. She said, I like you. Call us tomorrow at 11, and I'll get Ari on the phone. I said, no problem. I called the office, and he answered, hello, champ. I said, I got it. I explained my situation. I didn't tell him that I had almost all the money for the ticket, and I told him I was going back to the embassy in two days. He was super excited. Oh, you're going to this tournament. Give me a day. Next day, he called me and said, I got someone to pay for half of your ticket, but there's a thing. I said, okay. Okay. <laughs> A friend of a friend who is a personal trainer has tried a visa to the United States twice and both times were denied. So if he can go with you to the embassy and you talk to the same agent and you tell him that he is your trainer and that is going to support you at the event, said, okay. During the interview, it was a different agent. So I told him, yeah, everything was good. The only thing was the letter and here's the facts of the competition and so forth. And then the agent started to ask him questions. He started to stutter, and then the agent said, Gustavo, you can pay the fee and pick up your visa, and Marcos, unfortunately, is a no for you. Marcos said, well, but the agent cut him off and said, next. Well, I don't understand. Next, followed by security, just like that. We left. I called Ari and said, hey, I got the visa, but he didn't. Thank you so much for your help. Now, Ari used the where there's a will, there's a way mindset. He said, no, 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 no. You two meet me at my brother's newspaper company, which I had no idea, by the way, and we will take care of this. We get there, and his brother called the embassy and said the following. Today, two gentlemen applied for the visa, and one got denied. He had all his documentations with him, and you still denied him. If this decision doesn't get returned by 5 p.m., tomorrow the press will be in front of your building accusing the embassy of racism because Marcus was dark-skinned. As a result, they approved the visa. <laughs> we traveled together, and after we passed immigration, he gave me 400 bucks, shook my hand, and I never heard of him again. What opportunities this challenge provide me? Competed for the first time in the United States. It was one of my last brown belt matches. I won the featherweight and the open division, plus the opportunity to move to the United States, which I did in less than four months after my first trip in 1999, and I've been here since. Now, let me clear things here. I'm not trying to impress you with my accomplishments or my challenges. It's just to convey to you that when you adopt this where there's a will, there's a way mindset, a world of possibilities present itself to you, and it's your responsibility to act on it. If pursuing your goals and dreams were easy, everyone would do it. But it's not that simple. Your emotional resilience levels must be high to overcome all the undesired outcomes along your journey decided to execute the where there's a will, there is a way mindset in your next big challenge. And as the motivational speaker Tony Robbins says, it's in your moments of decisions that your destiny is shaped. Because of my decision to accept the challenge of competing internationally, you're listening to this podcast today. Os. We're glad you were able to join us for this episode of the BJJ Mental Coach Podcast. But the lesson doesn't end here. 
Watch the videos and download the audio of the 10 mental mistakes BJJ competitors make and how to avoid them for free when you subscribe to the BJJMentalCoach.com. Don't miss the chance to find out what might be holding you back from being your best self on and off the mat. That's the BJJMentalCoach.com.